You're listening to the Matthew Sermon Series at Sojourn Midtown. In this series, we are following Jesus as He calls us to take on His yoke so that we may experience true flourishing. Today's scripture reading is 1 Kings 19 verses 1 through 19. If you don't have a Bible, you can follow along on the screen behind me. Hear the word of the Lord. Ahab told Jezebel everything that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, may the gods punish me and do so severely if I don't make your life the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then Elijah became afraid and immediately ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba, that belonged to Judah, he left his servant there, and he went on a day's journey into the wilderness. He sat down under a broom tree and prayed that he might die. He said, I have had enough. Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down and slept under the broom tree. Suddenly, an angel touched him. The angel told him, get up and eat. Then he looked, and there at his head was a loaf of bread baked over hot stones and a jug of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. Then the angel of the Lord returned for a second time and touched him. He said, Get up and eat, or the journey will be too much for you. So he got up, ate, and drank. Then on the strength from that food, he walked 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mountain of God. He entered a cave there and spent the night. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. All right. Well, it's good to see you all. Thank you to the worship team for uh, once again, just leading us in worship and and putting so much hard work in. Uh, Let's give it up for the worship team that the Lord has blessed us with here at Midtown. To our sound engineers who uh, week in and week out sacrifice to make sure you guys have good sound. We are so thankful for you. I also want to just pause this morning uh, before we get into today's text and acknowledge uh, a new class of Love Thy Neighborhood. Amen. So those who are in LTN, if you could just stand so that we can just acknowledge you. Amen. Well, we just want to greet you. You may be seated. And uh, we hope that you're a term here in Louisville, whether it's for to the end of the year or for or if it's for a whole year, is just rich. Uh, LTN is just a significant ministry that uh, helps other nonprofits in Louisville as well as Sojourn. Uh, we wouldn't be able to do a lot that we do without you guys. So thank you. Uh, this week was a, a heavy week, um, as we have alluded to already throughout uh, the service. As you guys know, the announcement about the ruling on the Breonna Taylor's case was made, and this just elicited a lot of emotions on a plethora of spectrums in different people's hearts. And so we do want to acknowledge that today. We want to acknowledge the turmoil that's going on in our city, and we want to hear a word from the Lord today that will help to calm us and to send us back into our daily reality with Christ on our mind and with strength. I also want to particularly acknowledge, uh, just uh, while all of us are are, are mourning and uh, many of us are are confused at what's happening uh, socially, I do think that there is a particular uh, part of our communities that's that's hurting. 
probably more than others. And uh, we don't often talk about this, but I just want to acknowledge the pain of our, our black uh, sisters, um, our African-American sisters, who for the last hundred and plus days have just looked daily at newspapers and, and websites and saw the image of a woman um, who was uh, tragically killed. And because I'm not an African-American woman, I can't uh, know all that you all are going through. But as I talk to sisters in this church, as well as around the city, I hear them expressing just a, a deeper grief um, and, and, and pain. And uh, we just want to weep with you all and just let you know we love you and that the Lord is with you. I was meditating this week on a passage in Mark. In fact, as of Friday, I was going to preach this passage. It was the second sermon of the week that I had worked on that uh, the Lord kind of directed me away from. Uh, I think the Lord just showed it uh, to me or had me just living in this passage uh, myself. It's the story of a, a woman who has the issue of blood along with Jairus's daughter. And uh, I had talked to a number of, of African-American sisters who were just kind of in pain and just seeing that image for a number of different reasons. And I just was reminded by Jesus' care uh, for women and his particular care for those who are in pain. And in both situations, what healed those women were uh, touching him. One woman reached out and touched the hem of his garment, and the other woman was raised from the dead by his words, Telethakuma. And so my prayers for you, dear sisters, is that in this time of grief and hardship, um, that Jesus would, would touch you and that you would know he's with you. I also want to give us a quick word. Uh, and it's not of, of rebuke, as I don't have too many instances here necessarily of our, of our particular members of our church, but I, I just see this throughout the city and even throughout the nation. Um, we want to be very mindful during this time and during this season of how we use our words. Uh, James chapter 3 tells us that the tongue, though it's the smallest member of the body, it does the, the most damage, right? It, it can set a force ablaze or on fire. The scriptures tells us, Jesus tells us, that every careless word that we speak, uh, we will have to give account for on a day of judgment. And so I want to make sure as a church that we understand that no matter how frustrated you may be or where you may land on the social spectrum, that we as Christians are always to have and allow our speech to be seasoned with salt. Attacking uh, governmental leaders, those who are in positions of authority with rude uh, insults is never okay. First Peter chapter 2, verse 17 says this, respect everyone and love the family of believers, fear God and respect the king. And this is written to a group who, uh, of Christians who were being persecuted at the time by the emperor. And Peter does not give them the right or, or say that you can just say whatever you want and, uh, and, 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 and cascade uh, people or who are in leadership over you because they mis you think they mistreat you or because of the suffering that you're receiving. Uh, God always calls us to, to have our speech seasoned with salt and with respect. Uh, leadership is hard and it is okay to give uh, uh, criticism in a helpful way but to uh, open our mouths and to speak against fellow image bearers as if they're less than is never okay. And the church said, I know it's tight, but it's right, amen? And my goal is not to be, be popular, it's to help along with the rest of your pastors to form you to look more like Jesus. Uh, so we're going to pray and we're going to dive into today's text. Let's pray. 
Uh, gracious Father, we thank you that in our, our time of, of need, you are present. Thank you that you never leave us nor forsake us. That you sympathize with us in our weakness, that you know what it's like to be human. You know what it's like to be oppressed. You know what it's like to be a part of a, a, a regiment, a regime that's broken. And yet, Lord, you you encourage us to render unto Caesar what Caesar's unto you, uh, what is yours, and to be salt and light. And God, sometimes it's really hard. But Father, we know that you uh, don't call us to something without equipping and empowering us to do it. So I thank you for your Holy Spirit, which indwells your church, your people, your ecclesia, that we do not have to pursue this in our own strength or our own might, but as we rest and abide in you, that you give us the strength and you give us the might to be faithful to you. And Lord, even now, I pray that you would speak for your servants are listening. Amen. Hey, well, really quickly, I, I want to point our attention to, to the book of First Kings. First Kings uh, is a, a great book in, in the Old Testament, 11th book of the Old Testament. And in it, we see and we learn about the death of David, the reign of uh, Solomon, the split of Israel, and the uh, ministry of a prophet by the name of Elijah. And uh, this week, I had every intention and plan at the beginning of the week to preach and to continue our series on Matthew. We were looking at a very important text uh, that is about marriage. Uh, but uh, halfway through the week, uh, I believe that the Lord shifted my heart. I thought, as I said earlier, that I was going to preach from another text I was looking at uh, because I was just burdened for some of uh, 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 my African-American sisters that we were talking to, and not just them, but just members in general who were really uh, in dismay and, and really discouraged. And I felt that the Lord was, was kind of shifting that. Um, on Wednesday, I, uh, on Thursday morning, I woke up and I was just uh, disappointed, disappointed with uh, just the state of the world, with the complexities of the, of the case that's before us, um, ultimately with the fact that um, our, our systems um, has in, in many ways failed us. Uh, and in that discouragement, um, I began to just seek the Lord. And over the process of a, a couple of days, we landed on this text here in 1 Kings. And that's what I want to talk about this morning, is what do you do when you, you find yourself in, in times of deep disappointment? What do you do when you find yourself dealing with deep disappointment? Well, we see here that the prophet Elijah is deeply disappointed. And the reason that he's deeply disappointed is because he has just had this major victory in which he has defeated the prophets of Baal. Uh, we read in uh, 1 Kings 18, you can go and read the story, that Elijah has this very dramatic moment in which he uh, goes into a competition with the prophets of Baal. And we see that the prophets of Baal, they, they lose, and God miraculously shows up, answers uh, Elijah's challenge or Elijah's prayer. He shows himself strong, 
And these prophets, 450, are then uh, put to death. And for Elijah, Elijah thought that this was it, that Israel was now going to be healthy, that Israel was now going to be strong, uh, that God was going to restore the nation. But Elijah's expectations of restoration um, was not met. In verse 46 of chapter 18, it says that the power of the Lord was on Elijah and he tucked his mantle under his belt and he ran ahead of Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. Chapter 19, verse 1 says, And Ahab told Jezebel everything that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, May the gods punish me and do so severely if I don't make your life like the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. And so Elijah has this, un, uh, has this fear. That's the first thing we see is that Elijah becomes afraid because uh, this woman whose name is Jezebel, who's married to King Ahab, issues a threat. And this isn't just someone who's just kind of talking trash. This is a woman who has proven that she can follow through on her, her threats. Um, in chapter 18, we learn that she has killed uh, prophets of God um, before. And so this is a real threat that can happen. And what ends up happening is Elijah is filled with fear and he becomes afraid and he runs for his life. Now, this is amazing to me because Elijah is the prophet of Israel. I mean, he is holding the most important office at the time um, other than, than king. And, and he has just seen God literally rain down fire from heaven on an altar uh, that he created in which fire should not have been able uh, to be made. And even though he has just seen God work miraculously and he has just killed uh, 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 450 false prophets who have done great damage amongst the people of God, we see that Elijah is afraid and he runs for his life. And that's kind of the human experience, even for those who are very mature. We can find ourselves one day on a mountaintop and the next day in a valley, wondering what happened, Lord? Where are you, God? And we see this in the Psalter. We see this uh, throughout the book of Psalms, moments of rejoicing and confidence in God, which is followed by moments of disappointment. And we see that Elijah's fear um, is not only what leads him to a place of disappointment. Uh, and a couple verses later, he's going to be sitting under a broom tree in the wilderness, wishing that he was dead. But also, we see that it's, this disappointment is rooted in unmet expectations, unmet expectations, we read in verse four, as Elijah is venting under the broom tree that he says, I have had enough, Lord, take my life for I am no better than my father's. So Elijah is, finds himself in a place of disappointment. This disappointment leads him to run for his life. He doesn't seek the presence of God. He doesn't seek the, the voice of God. He doesn't find his confidence in God, but out of fear, he just starts running as fast and as far away as he can. He takes a day journey trying to escape Jezebel. And I will argue that his disappointment then goes to a level of disobedience, a level of disobedience. 
as the prophet of God, rather than finding confidence in God, as he called Israel to do in 1 Kings chapter 18, as they stood before all these false prophets on the Mount of, of Carmel, um, he calls for Israel to have confidence in God. Now he doesn't have confidence in God and he runs. And I believe he runs away in, in essence in, in disobedience or in sin because he's not trusting the Lord. But his disobedience then leads him to despondency. 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 It leads him to a place of not responding, to a place of giving up, to a place of hopelessness. And his despondency is going to lead him to despair. And many times in our life, the same thing happens. Something happens, something goes wrong. We find ourselves faced with fear. And normally that fear is met in some um, unmet expectations or a, a fantasy of how we think things should go or how we want things to go. And this week, I'll be honest, on Thursday morning, even though I knew uh, in my heart that, that things were going to go the, and turn out the way that they did so far in the Breonna Taylor's case, as I looked at uh, the information that was before us, the precedence uh, of the law, the signs that were kind of given to us days before, I still felt myself discouraged and disappointed. And not necessarily, and I'm not making a political state over what was uh, uh, said on, on Thursday, um, as much as just a, a history of a broken system that leads to oftentimes uh, a lack of accountability within those systems. And whenever we're met with disappointment and discouragement, we have to ask ourselves the question, how am I going to respond? Am I going to respond in confidence in the Lord and, and move on? Or am I going to uh, allow this to impact me to the point that it moves me further away from God to a point of despair? And not only is Elijah met with fear and unmet expectations, but we see when we, when we allow our disappointments to be uh, stewed on, and we don't invite God into our disappointments, we see what happens in verse 10. We become very self-focused. Verse 10, he replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of armies, but the Israelites have abandoned your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed prophets with the sword. I alone and left, and they are looking for me to take my life. In his disappointment, which leads to despair, we see when God asked him twice in this passage, Elijah, why are you here? <laughs> why are you under this broom tree in the wilderness? And then later on, even when Elijah goes to Mount Horeb and he's hiding in a rock, he's going to have the same response in verse 14. I have been very zealous for the Lord God of armies, he replied. But the Israelites have abandoned your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with a sword. I alone am left, and they are looking to take my life. Now, we'll see later on in this passage that the problem with what Elijah says is, is that it's ex exaggeration. God is going to tell Elijah at the end, Elijah, there are 7,000 people who have not yet bowed to Baal. And we also see in chapter 18 of 1 Kings that Elijah knows that he's not the only prophet of Israel left. As Obadiah has told him that when Jezebel killed prophets, uh, some other prophets before, that he was able to take prophets and put them in hiding. 
But what happens is, is when we allow our disappointments to rule over us and we weep without looking up, we become self-focused, our speech becomes exaggerated, and we find ourselves spiritually and emotionally stuck. We find ourselves like Elijah, sitting under, metaphorically speaking, a broom tree without hope. And the problem is, Christians, is that we know we do have hope. And the question I want to answer really quickly is, how does God deal with us as Christians when we find ourselves in despair? And the answer is, is that God deals with us gently by inviting us into his reality and refocusing us on our call. God deals with us gently by inviting us into his reality, which is reality, and by refocusing us on his call really quickly. And I'm done. Look, look at the text. We see in verse Number four, Elijah goes to the wilderness. He says, I have had enough. Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. This is supposed to be the most mature man in Israel. We all can get there. And and I think and I hope that this uh, helps you not to feel shame, (laughs) uh, to know that throughout the Bible, we have a litany of of prophets and priests and people who in in times of social unrest and times of, of pain, Um, who find themselves discouraged. But look at how God responds. Suddenly an angel touched him. The angel told him, get up and eat. Then he looked and there at his head was a loaf of bread baked over hot stones and a jug of water. So he ate and drank and lay down. And the angel of the Lord returned for the second time and touched him. He said, get up and eat or the or the journey will be too much for you. So the first thing that God does with Elijah is he deals with him practically. He feeds him and he allows him to sleep. And for us in the middle of social unrest and tension, when the world and our city is literally on fire, when you find yourself disappointed and in despair, I'm telling you what to do. Go take a nap. It's okay to take a nap. And it's okay to eat. Try to eat healthily. (laughs) Take care of yourself. Take care of your body. God has made us as intricate beings and our our, our bodies is, is connected to how we respond and experience things spiritually. Now, I'm going to be real with you. I'm going to be vulnerable. This was top 10, maybe top 15 most difficult weeks that I've experienced, okay? And here's why. Again, I kind of expect it to happen, uh, what to happen. Our attorney general um, uh, led us. He said, this is what they have found. Um, I want to be a a person who is is not cynical and to give uh, the process time to work. And it's a courage uh, to to lead and to to stand up and to do what was difficult. But I was disappointed. Um, And then my phone started going off. of course, with members of our church, leaders in the city, as well as uh, I have the joy of uh, being president over uh, Sojourn Network, serving alongside our executive director, Dave Owens. And my phone just started going, uh, going, going off. 
uh, got the media reached out, people reached out. Uh, it was just overwhelming. It was overwhelming. And in the midst of that happening, my wife sent me a text and she said, Bay, um, I just want you to know I love you. A lot of people are going to be reaching out to you. It's okay to turn off your phone and not to respond to people today. But me being, you know, a male uh, <laughs> and uh, hard-headed, I didn't listen. <laughs> and I just started trying to, in my own strength, respond to people and to be present. And I'm telling y'all, this is the truth. By the end of the day, my, my eye was twitching because I was doing too much. I was trying to be something that God has not created me to be, which is sovereign and, and, and the one who has the answers. And our team did a phenomenal job this week um, of, of coming together. I'm so proud of our team. Uh, Rafi, Kat, uh, Joel Smell, our community group leaders, our REACH department, our whole team, it was a team effort. And they responded by putting together a way to respond in our city. On Friday morning and Saturday, um, they got uh, members together. And before protesters went to uh, downtown into the square, we met here at the church and we prayed. Um, and then they went and dispersed uh, throughout downtown and they handed out coffee. They engaged the National Guard and protesters who were there the night before having gospel conversations and being present. I'm so proud of our team. So proud of our team. But Friday morning, I wanted to be there. The team told me what they were doing, and I'm like, man, I want to be there. And I woke up. I did at 6.15. I said, I'm going to go. I'm going to meet them at the church. Look, my eye's still twitching, trying to do too much, trying to be everywhere at the same time. And my wife, once again, she touches me. She says, you know you don't have to go. In fact, why don't you just go to sleep? Let your team take care of it. Let the church be the church. And I did. And I slept in and I walked around Shelby Park and I prayed and I felt like the Lord started ministering to me. And I was now toiling with his energy rather than my own. Sometimes the most holy thing we can do is to sleep. Rest knowing that we are the father's child. Psalm 127, unless the Lord builds a house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over a city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It's in vain for you to rise early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. Why? Because he gives rest to his beloved. Nothing depends on you as much as you think it depends on you. You are not the savior of anything. I am not the savior of anything. If I die tomorrow, you all will hold a funeral. Hopefully you will mourn for at least a week. And a month from now, y'all be talking about who's going to be the next pastor. There's only one person who is the answer, and his name is Jesus. And we need angels. Listen to me. We need angels to remind us of that. We need community group leaders to, to be God's messengers for us and to look us in the eye and to say, you're doing too much. We need friends to pause and to, to point us back to Jesus and away from the philosophies and strategies of the world, which at the end is hopeless. We need to listen to our spouses, especially after they tell us the first time and be humble and take a nap. 
We need pastors that are, are massaging our hearts and telling us things that are uncomfortable, even in our rage, looking at us and saying, slow down. You're out of biblical lines. God has called you to treat everyone as an image bearer. Trust in him. Not only does he deal with them practically, he deals with them spiritually. Elijah goes in verse 8. He eats and he drinks and he goes to a place. He walks 40 days and 40 nights to a place called Horeb. Horeb. Now, Horeb is also known as Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai is where Moses met God after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights and was given the Ten Commandments. So God leads him, and that's implied in the text, to go to this place. And we see in verse 9 that he enters into a cave and he spends the night. Suddenly the word of God came to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? Again, I didn't tell you to, to, to come and to be into this, in this state, to run away in fear. And he's gently dealing with them. And Elijah gives him the answer that we heard earlier. And notice what he does. He points to his zealousness. He points to how no one else is doing what he is doing. No one else feels like he feels. No one else is as strong as he is. Everything is depending on him. And by the way, we can take this out of social unrest. You can take this and apply the same principles into your own life, to your marriage, to, those, to your friendships, to your relationships in the church, to homeschooling during this season or NTI or whatever. When we find ourselves disappointed and in despair, we become self-focused and we begin to exaggerate and think that the world revolves around us. Verse 11, then he said, go out and stand on the mountain in the Lord's presence. And at that moment, the Lord passed by. A great and mighty wind was tearing the mountains and was shattering cliffs before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was a voice, a soft whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. So Elijah's this prophet who, when you read 1 Kings 18, God often meets him and works through him in extraordinarily big and loud ways. And Elijah now is at a place where God historically for Israel has worked in a very dramatic way. And I think what God is doing here is saying, Elijah, you have limited me to only being able to work through these big demonstrative ways. And what you're missing is that I am with you even when things don't seem to be going according to your plan. I am still sovereign. I am at work and you need to slow down and to see me in the quiet, to see me in the mundane, to see me in the ordinary and to know that I have a plan. And I'm telling you, you will become off balance. You will become embittered. I've seen too many people walk away from the Lord in the last few years. I've seen too many people of color walk away uh, discouraged at the evangelical church and, 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 and nursing wounds that they feel and giving up on what is happening because of what they see happening in the American church. And it's because they have neglected the small, still voice of 
Jesus. If you are looking at the news, if you are talking to to friends more than you are uh, uh, spending time in your heart with Jesus, cultivating a relationship with him, abiding in him as the true vine, washing yourself with the water of the word, praying with him without ceasing, working on a relationship with him and not simply religious practice. I'm telling you, you will burn out. You will find yourself far away from the Lord, as dry as that broom tree that Elijah was sitting and weeping under. You will find yourself despairing for life, wondering if God is real. And then you'll find yourself doing the Michael Jackson moonwalk. And before you know it, life is doomed. And the answer is out there rather than up there and in here. God is above us. God is in us and God is all around us and he is working. And if we would just slow down, take a nap and listen to his voice, we will have strength for the day. Some of us, I'm just going to be honest, we're just lazy. We complain about what's going on out there. When God has told us to pray, we complain about being emotionally a wreck, but we won't slow down to spend time with the God who entered into our reality and who spent time with people who understand and who created you as a physical, spiritual, and emotional being. And the one who's gently coming to you saying, man, why are you here? Stop abdicating responsibility. Stop pointing and saying it's everybody else's faults. See your own self-righteousness and come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Lastly, God speaks to him practically, spiritually, but God reorients Elijah. He reorients Elijah by focusing on him missionally, really quickly. Then the Lord said to him, go, 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 go. I only got, uh, went on Saturday um, to the event that our team put on. Got to uh, go uh, with my family uh, Saturday morning and talk to people and, and pray with the saints. And I was, I was just encouraged. There's something that happens when we as the people of God engage on mission. And for some of us, the reason we're discouraged is because we're not going. We're navel gazing. After Jesus died on a cross in in Acts chapter 1-8 and ascended into heaven, an angel of the Lord said, why are y'all still looking up? He says, now go. Go. You were created to go. As we go, we will see small signs and, and, and sometimes big signs. And God will remind us that he is at work. That he is at work. And look at what he tells him to go and do. Return by the way you came to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive, you are to anoint Hazel as king over Aram. You are to anoint Jehu, son of Nesmi, as king over Israel. And Elisha, son of Shaphat, from um, Abel, Mehalo, as prophet in your place. Then Jehu will be put to death, who... Uh, whoever escapes the sword of Hazel and Elisha will be put to death. Whoever escapes the sword of Jehu, 
But I will leave 7,000 in Israel, every knee that has not bowed to Baal and every mouth that has not kissed them. And here's what God did essentially. God said, I want you to go as the one who's holding the office of prophet in Israel, and I want you to anoint a, a king. And the king that he was to anoint was a king who had international influence. He says, then I want you to anoint another king who's going to, have, uh, inf- who's going to be the next king over Israel. And then he says, and then I want you to go and I want you to pour your life into a man by the name of Elisha. So what does God do? God reorients Elijah by stepping into, by dealing with him gently, by by refocusing him on his, on God's reality and on his mission. And he does this by saying, I'm at work internationally. I'm at work locally, and I need you to do what I've called you to do, which put it in a New Testament language, is to keep making disciples. And that's my word to you. God is at work internationally. Though the nations rage, God is at work. God is at work work locally. God is doing a work in our city. He has saved you and created you for such a time as this. Now go and be a gritty disciple maker, looking to him, knowing that he is sovereign and in control. So what we need to do, we need to speak to our fear with truth. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but Love, power, and a sound mind, 1 Timothy 1 and 7. We need to speak to our unmet expectations with this reality that God has the whole world in his hand and he has our life in his hand and he is sovereign and providential over it. If God brings something to us, he's going to bring us through it. Trust the process. We need to speak to our self-inflated and self-focused egos by reminding us we are part of the story. We are but a mist. We are but dust. We're decorated dirt. God loves us, but we are part of the plan. We are not the whole plan. And we need to do what he called us to do. Go ye therefore in all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and make disciples. And remember, lo, I'm with you to the end of the world. God does sometimes work in dramatic and big ways, but his plan we see from the very uh, beginning of Jesus' resurrection and the foundation of the church is to work in in stealth ways, is to work in small ways that end up being a big impact. So be faithful in the mundane and look to him. Galatians 6, 9 says, do not grow weary, in well-doing, for you shall receive your reward if you faint not. Don't let weary win. God is faithful. Jesus defeated death. He died on the cross so that you might have eternal life. He rose from the dead, and that same power is indwelling you. And he is coming back again to make all things right. Don't let weary win. If, the power of the word if, if 
you faint not. If my people are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray. If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God raised him for the dead, you shall be saved. If mm, the power of the word, if that's a whole nother sermon. If. You faint not. And every Sunday we celebrate the power of Jesus and his love for us and how he deals gently with us by taking communion. We break bread. We drink wine or juice. The wine is marked by twine, whatever our conscience permits. And before you have a cup, if you can, if you're a Christian, reach down and, and grab it. And if you could open it up and take out the bread. And as we eat it, let's remember that this is the body of Jesus Christ, which was broken for us. And as you drink of the juice, let's remember that this represents the blood of Jesus, which was shed for us. And it's by his stripes that we are healed. Saints, let's stand to our feet. Let's worship Jesus. Let's remember his goodness. And let's not grow weary in doing well. Hi, I'm Jamal Williams, lead pastor of Sojourn Midtown. Thanks for listening. At Midtown, we value gospel-centeredness, biblical faithfulness, transformative relationships, diverse fellowship, creativity in the arts, and relentless mission. For more sermons, info about our church, visit SojournChurch.com slash Midtown.